Well, it's my dear mate, Dave, and you know what? I feel like it's been years since we've spoken, David. Muzz, it's been so long. It's been so long. And I still rank you up there with with some of the best buggers I know, even though you have been a super spreader in this business oh. and and knocked us all off our perch with the plague. Thanks, Muzz. Uh, just to, to um, sort of, uh, yeah, no, I don't want to get into too much detail, but we did go to a Warriors <laughs> gathering and uh, the day afterwards I, I was uh, found to have the COVID and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, li- I'm living, I've got to live with that the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we will barely mention it. <laughs> Anyway, the, one of the reasons we're having a little chat right now is the fact that uh, the podcast, uh, the nature of the podcast is changing slightly, and uh, you and I will still chat away, but uh, each month or within that sort of time frame, we're going to be uh, uh, featuring um, uh, someone special. Uh, for example, they've, uh, th- this month is... Uh, Chris Savage, who will be a name that many won't know and many will know, and those that do know will suddenly sit up in their chair and make a cup of coffee and get a biscuit and say, shit, this will be good. And those that don't know, sit up in your chair, get a cup of coffee and grab a biscuit because it's going to be good. Yeah, and it's not that far away. But as well as having the feature interviews, we will also have um, material that Dave has gathered that will be on, uh, without getting too detailed, our new 24-7 trucking radio product, which is that's uh, right. soon. Mm. That's and right. And the reason the podcast changed its format slightly, which was always going to be the case, is because of the arrival of the radio program. Yeah. And the radio program will feature a lot of stuff you will have heard on the podcast, although um, you're also going to hear it on the podcast as well. But, but you know, the, all those surprises that have come, David, aren't they? Absolutely, Murray. Absolutely. And, of course, the first thing I want to ask, is, ask you is how, how, how was England? Yeah, England was uh, amazing. Um, I, had, uh, I had five weeks there. I had... Uh, um, reasonable sort of uh, weather and temperatures and I got to meet my new grandson and my kids and yeah it was just just a fabulous uh, five weeks mate absolutely yeah uh, and you didn't quite catch up with Will Shires no you just no. you missed like ships because of some bloody strike in the transport or something yeah no no the, the trains went down for a week and we we potentially could have caught up because I mean you think in England everything's just around the corner but in actual fact, it's not. And um, and then Will had a, a, a truck show that they were involved with the next week. So we didn't actually touch base, but next time I'm there, I'm definitely looking forward to him. He did get the T-shirt, I hope. <laughs> Excellent. And that what, what you said then is really true, isn't it? Because when we're at New, New Zealanders have a perception that England's about the size of the Manawa 2. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And you get over there and it's a bloody country. And you think it actually all looks like Coronation Street. Where in actual fact, um, yeah, there's more country over there than I think there's in New Zealand at times. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's really interesting. That is really interesting. And I have to apologise to the folks for the late arrival of episode 10 because I did the interview uh, when Muzz was away and then I looked at the technology and what I needed to do to get it to air and I got scared and waited till Muzz came home and then he gave us COVID. So we're actually, we're you know, we're, we're, we are overdue on episode 10, and we send out our sincere apologies for that. No, that's good, Dave. I'm glad you fell on your silver on that one. I didn't want to take the crap on that one. <laughs> All right, mate. I think we'll, we'll fire that, um, that episode up, and, um, and uh, we look forward to Trucking Radio 24-7 coming soon. Fantastic. Have a great show. Have a great listen, people.
Podcast episode 10. Uh, I'm Dave McCoy and it's feature interview time. This is the first uh, of our new format uh, podcasts where we've switched over a lot of the uh, entertaining vocational content to the upcoming uh, Trucking Radio 24-7. We're incredibly excited about that. So this is basically podcast 10 is a feature interview and uh, it is one that I have... Uh, Taken a while to broker because the uh, the interviewee is, is as they all are incredibly humble about his own life's escapades and was uh, was a bit uh, he was a bit he's, why would you want to talk to me sort of syndrome but but it is one that I have been incredibly excited to do because I've known him um, for for a, a wee while now um, I have it's a great privilege that I I might allow myself uh, to call him a friend and uh, he is one of the great characters of uh, road transport and forestry and logistics and probably, I don't know, the upper North Island, Bay of Plenty, Golden Triangle area. He's one of the most well-known names, one of the most uh, admired and respected characters. Everyone that you mention the name Chris Savage to laughs and says what an absolute character he is. And, and um, he is... He is uh, he is the, the enricher of lives of anyone he meets, and it's a great uh, privilege to have uh, Chris Savage on the other end of the microphone today for the feature interview. Welcome to uh, Keep On Moving, Chris. Thanks, Dave. That's a bit over the top, the introduction, but uh, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. No, it, no, I thought I thought that was absolutely bang on. So Chris is obviously... Uh, he. he I describe Chris as one of the great, uh, the, the, man, the man in the shadows type type guy. He is a, he is a doer. He is an effector. He is a he's made things happen. And and in the shadows of some of the the big names and big personalities around the industry, particularly in I suppose you'd say the forest sector and, and that sort of thing. Yep. Yep. And so, um, but we're going to learn the Chris Savage story right from the start, right from because I don't know where the Chris Savage story starts. So you can take over from here. Like where's where's home? Where were you born? How did it all start? Well. Well, very simple. Born in Ratahi, uh, schooled in uh, Christchurch in Auckland, uh, left school and signed up to be a cadet for Lands and Survey, uh, uh, which was the forerunner of the Conservation Department. Oh, yep. My parents, both being doctors, didn't reckon that was high enough up the scale, and uh, <laughs> I, I was... Uh, so were they doctors, are they medical doctors? Or? Medical yeah, doctors, yep. yeah, yeah. My mother was a GP, my father was a psychiatrist. Um, and uh, so I was uh, persuaded to start a commerce degree at Auckland University. Spent three years uh, there, a bit of learning, a, a lot of beer drinking, and I built a couple of keel boats with friends and sailed one of them uh, in the 1973 Auckland to Suva yacht race. In oh, the back really? There, which was. Quite an experience. So, did you have any prior on yachting, or did you go? Oh and, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd say because rather he's like, she's a wee way to tow the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that damn and tie happy. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, uh, I um, my yachting was done in my years of education in Auckland, there in the Hauraki Gulf, lovely place. So, when did the study actually happen, uh, Chris? Oh, uh, um, sometime around that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, when I got back from uh, the Fiji uh, trip there, I went to work for the Ford Motor Company at Wirree. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a, a flatmate of mine was uh, an engineer on the wheel plant there, and he got me a job se- assembling Falcons, and I saw the, the very first XA Falcon come off that assembly line. Really? And uh, then... 
So I, did you bolt something to it? Were you responsible for actually... Oh, yeah, I, I fitted tyres to rims and bled brakes and all oh, sorts of things there. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was for a while. After a couple of weeks, it was pretty repetitive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I was offered a job in the Ford Parts and Accessory Division where they distributed all the spare parts for the whole of New Zealand. Right. And uh, the most terrible job I ever had, it was in an office of 70 people uh, with desks side by side. Uh, you didn't start anything, you didn't finish anything, you did your bit and handed it on. Soul right. destroying. So I stayed there long enough until I got a, uh, a Ford Granada V6 uh, for the jet boat I was building there and got f- that at dealer price. And a Ford Granada V6? Yeah. We had yeah. an MP in the Thames Coromandel. We burned around in a... Uh, Ford Granada, I always remember. It was quite a unique car. Yeah. And um, then I headed to Rotorua, where I thought it would be a good place to use this jet boat. The jet, <laughs> the jet boat uh, was a 14-foot-6 fiberglass fireball, which uh, we fitted a Hamilton two-stage jet in this Ford Granada to, and it had its name along each side in, in sort of two-foot-high letters, Ezra Decan, which everyone knows is naked ass spelt backwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's so you. That is so you. And regretfully, yeah. I got to know most of the Lake Rangers pretty rapidly uh, yeah. there. <laughs> so was the boat? Uh, is it? A, was it? A, were you racing them? Was it a competitive no, thing, or was no, it to it court, was, court it was, females, or was it? No, to... Well, people had trail bikes and other things there. I had a jet boat, uh, I guess, and and um, we we uh, used to uh, rip up a few rivers and. Uh, and certainly around all the lakes, and uh, a great time was had by all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, went looking for a job, and as much as I hadn't really enjoyed my years of accounting, I got an, a job uh, starting on the 1st of July 1974, for some reason I remember that date there, at P.F. Olsen and Company in Rotorua. Uh, Peter Olsen had started a... Uh, a forest management and consultancy business a couple of years before and uh, the business is now 50 years uh, yeah. on and uh, they have a, uh, a, a, a an active um, uh, management uh, business in New Zealand of a whole variety of forests in both islands. Yes. I was down the side of Lake Pukaki uh, a few months ago and see that even the forestry in there was managed by them. And uh, also they do a lot of overseas consultancy, some World Bank work and various other things. And I was initially the accountant there, and um, uh, it it paid the bills, but I could see that what they were doing was far more interesting to me. Uh, There was a lot of activity going on on land acquisition, on leasehold uh, land of Maori land and up the Bay of Plenty and round the East Cape and negotiating 99-year forestry leases and then clearing the land of uh, the, uh, the various species on it there, uh, mainly waste uh, weeds and bits and pieces, and planting pine trees under the Government Forest Encouragement Grant Scheme of right. the era. If you invested a dollar, they gave you a dollar. Right. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed that and made it known to Peter Olson that... Uh, my interest in accounting was waning, but my interest in the other aspects of his business were accelerating. So um, I found another bean counter and then <laughs> got, got more involved in 
in um, this forestry side of things. Uh, so when you say you found another bean counter, did he do the old um, the old uh, thing that guys of that era of, of his ilk used to do? You, you find your replacement and you can move on? Absolutely. <laughs> he, he was an extremely busy man, and uh, but a straight shooter, yeah. a, a wonderful mentor to me in those early years. And... Um, uh, I was involved in uh, a lot of the uh, scrub clearing and the, the massive uh, burn-offs they used to have at that uh, stage at the end of uh, the uh, summer when you'd uh, cleared all the bush off the land, you sprayed it with that wonderful chemical that they've since banned called 245T. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we had knapsack flamethrowers and we'd go around and circle these areas and burn them into the inside. It came co- close to costing my life on two occasions uh, there, which... Uh, well, we almost inflamed yourself. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, up on the Mamakus, uh, and, you know, fires create their own wind, and it just shot up this gully. And myself and another guy were forced to jettison our equipment and literally run up this gully and then up a rock face. I could never have got up unless I was full of adrenaline uh, Anyway, and uh, then on another occasion over in Gisborne where uh, we quite literally, another guy and myself, lay in a stream while the, the flames ripped over the top uh, there. Uh, the, there were several bad accidents and injuries to other companies during those burn-offs there. They've now since ceased. Uh, yeah. They do it a different way. Anyway, that was the way it was done back in the early 70s. And on one of those uh, burn-offs, I was on the back of a, uh, a Bedford truck with a tank on it, dampening down the fire brakes before we had this burn-off. We used to do the burn-off just before dusk when there was a bit of moisture coming down, but it was still dry enough, but with a view that the, the evening would cool down and any residual fire we could contain, right. which, which worked most of the time. <laughs> I love the word most, yeah. Anyway, dampening down this fire break uh, up behind the Reparo Dairy Factory and um, it was a pumice uh, road and uh, regretfully had been scoured out underneath by some heavy rain and the truck rolled over and I rolled over with it and was caught underneath it for an hour and a half while they got it off me uh, there. And I was um, uh, whisked off to Rotorua Hospital uh, where... Peter Tapsell, who became Speaker of the House yes. of Latter Years, and he was a great speaker and had probably more of a result there than he did as an orthopaedic surgeon because he poked a few pins in my toes and said, it's no good boy, I'll take it off in the morning. Uh, an above-knee amputation was what he had in mind. And Fortunately, uh, at midnight there, a, a young orthopaedic registrar came along and um, said, oh, they, they, they can do a few things here and... Uh, would I be on for it? And I said, well, can't be worse than what I've been offered. And I was whisked through to Waikato Hospital where they stripped veins and arteries out of my other not-so-crushed leg and got the other leg going and then put me in traction for three and a half months, which was a character-forming experience <laughs> in its own. Uh, I, I bet it was. Peter Olsen <laughs> was very good. When I got back on my feet, so to speak, I was 17 months on crutches, he uh, said to me, as soon as you're able, I've got a job for you. And I remember saying, I don't want your bloody sympathy. I'm no good to you now that uh, I've got one leg that's of doubtful use. And he said, pull your head in, boy. I've got a job for you. See you Monday. And I became his personal assistant, which uh, 
was an extremely interesting role. He was involved in so many things both in New Zealand and overseas in consulting on forestry and uh, as I've already said he was a great mentor to me and I learnt a lot from him and uh, the people that came through our offices uh, there. Yeah, yeah. And I can uh, certainly relate to that because I had the same opportunity in my career where I was offered the, basically a position of of a, of a wingman project, sort of a guy for a for the you know an entrepreneurial sort of a, a bloke. And you, what you say, the people that pass through your office and what you learn is absolutely yeah. yeah. Um, after uh, six years of uh, that, I went out on my own and was. Uh, just doing some basic uh, log harvesting consulting and uh, other aspects, which was was a really busy time. Kaingaroa um, uh, was thriving in those days. There was uh, Tasman Pulp and Paper and their logging arm of Kaingaroa Logging Company, logging and transport, and then there was all the Forest Service contractors. And the Forest Service contractors, a few of them came to me and said, look, would you give us a hand there? We're being picked off by uh, the people that do the costings for the Forest Service uh, there. And basically when we say we can't afford to do it for that rate, they say, well, if you won't, we'll, we'll find someone else. And uh, Which, you know, they'd made the big investment in both staff and training and certainly in equipment. Mm. And um, they were getting a raw deal. So we formed an association um, the Kaingaroa Logging Contractors Association, we were immediately told by the Forest Service when we informed them that it wasn't legitimate. And I said, well, that's interesting. It's been uh, accepted on principle by the uh, Registrar of the Incorporated Societies uh, there. And uh, we went to Wellington and saw the Director General of Forest and the Minister, mm-hmm. and we effected some really solid changes uh, there. Um, so that that was a bit of a highlight of the year. Um, Kaingaroa Logging Company, I did some consulting work um, in a couple of directions for them there. I, uh, in my later time with P.F. Olsen Company and then on my own behalf, uh, I ran a log cartage consortium of about 50 trucks uh, called Fleetwood Logging. And it was made up of uh, three directors, um, Stan Williamson, who had a, a, a fleet of Leyland Crusaders. He had 50 of them alone uh, there. Peter Shellcrass, who had a very, very tidy fleet of Kenworths. Yes. And John Gifford, who had uh, a number of Scarniers. And Scarniers certainly weren't the pick of the crop in those days. They've come a long way. And... Um, they were business competitors but realised they had to get together to obtain this Forest Service contract, which we held for 11 years until we were outbid on price by a newcomer to the industry called Williams and Wiltshire. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, log trucks to me were something that a, an accountant from Auckland knew very little about. Yeah. And I got tossed into it pretty heavily. Peter Olson, who had been running it, uh, said to me one afternoon, I've got to go up to Fiji in a hurry with John Spencer of Caxton Paper Mills. Um, you'll need to run these trucks. So he gave me some phone numbers and uh, a compartment map of Kaingaroa and said, get on with it. Um, and I rang the Forest Service at the numbers and got some 
log stocks and then rang the dispatches of the various uh, the three uh, shareholder uh, members of um, Williamson, Lambert and Gifford. And in those days, short logs were not a, an item you saw very much of at all. And John Gifford ran a, a shorts truck and he says, are there any shorts in that? And uh, I said, uh, I don't know, does that matter? Well, he... <laughs> <laughs> he uh, got, got got a little emotional uh, initially and then said, look, come round to my workshop tomorrow God. after work and I'll show you the difference between a long truck and a short truck. Oh, I love it. Got a little emotional. <laughs> you fill the words in yourself. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what era are we talking here, Chris? Like the, the, this is uh, 75, 76. Right. Yep, yep. When I went consulting, uh, Peter said, look, I'm past running this, uh, you continue to run it, and the, the directors went along with me that. So, um, In those days, there was no raid, road between Murapara and Kawarau. Right. Uh, the the million-dollar highway was opened up some years later, and it had been mooted but not built. And uh, Kawarau, the pulp and paper mill, was totally dependent on the rail line between Murapara and Kawarau, mm-hmm. and it was protected by an act of parliament that it, you could not uh, cart logs against that uh, mm. rail line there. And uh, the train, although it was uh, a good service, on occasions had problems, and uh, Kangaroo Logging Company, KLC, used to ring me at any hour of the night and say, the tra's, train's gone down, can you put some trucks on? We'd have to run the trucks all the way out of, uh, well, there were two ways of going there, the Class 2 down through Galatea and over the, the, the dam and up, or through Rotorua and around the lakes into Kawarau that way. Yeah. And I'd have to try and find someone in uh, the transport department to each time to tell them that um, we were being forced to do this because the rail line was down. And most occasions they were uh, cooperative. On one occasion it was a weekend and... Can't believe it! I couldn't find a public servant to speak to on the telephone. Really? Uh, yeah. On the weekend, you <laughs> And there was a a, a, a traffic officer in Kaurau who thought, well, this was his lucky day, and he stopped each and every truck coming through and gave them a ticket for carting against the rail, and uh, which um, my uh, truckies weren't that thrilled with there. But anyway, on Monday morning, I got hold of the right person when he finally came to work. And uh, all the tickets were instantly revoked uh, there. KLC uh, then appointed a new transport manager, a guy who'd come from New Zealand Forest Products, Ian Lockie. And uh, Ian had been brought in as an outsider because they wanted to effect change. They felt that they'd been doing the same thing year after year after year, and uh, especially on their log transport uh, side of things, and um, they felt there were potentially some better options uh, available. So Ian uh, had discussions with me and gave me two drivers who were company drivers to um, set them up as owner drivers and uh, also uh, find suitable off-highway transport units, both truck and trailers. Uh, As everyone would be aware, uh, Kangaroo Logging Company was the home of the Pacifics Mm -hmm. and had been for many, many years. 
and um, I've got great admiration for the Pacific Trucks uh, there and KLC. They uh, were the the Pacifics came to New Zealand as knockdown kits and were assembled in the workshops uh, there. And uh, then their top driver Tom Wright would get to drive the new unit when it was going there to debug it, and they built all their own trailers in the uh, the uh, workshops in Mirapara. Um, they uh, pulled uh, mainly doubles, but sometimes trebles. And they were built out of uh, mild steel and they were all huck bolted together. So when I was given this uh, project, um, uh, I uh, sought the advice of a couple of people uh, there. Initially I put a, a bit of a proposal out to a number of the truck manufacturers to come up with a truck that could do uh, 200 tonnes gross uh, vehicle load and um, see what came out of the woodwork. Kenworth at that stage could only do 150 tonnes, believe it or not. Um, uh, Mercedes could do something, and Leyland, believe it or not, were interested. You may remember Crikey. that. Crikey. <laughs> that was an era when they brought those huge big scammels and yes. the freightways had the... Yes. Yep. Transporters. Anyway, uh, the the person of most interest to me was Ron Carpenter of Motor Truck. He came up and spent a day and a half with me driving uh, up and around the forest and getting um, angles of all the roadways we'd potentially use. And he built a spec based on a an R-series Mac, double-skinned. It was the, the, the good old 440 Mac. And... Um, uh, and he came up with uh, a, uh, this was before the days of the 18-speed transmission. Yeah. Uh, it had a Mac 9-speed box uh, with a, a Spicer air shift behind it there with some of the, the cogs blocked out on it uh, there. And um, I remember we had to submit uh, this specification to Tasman Forestry. I'll, I'll just uh, divert a little... Then uh, on the, the trailer side of things, um, I'd always thought that carting off highway, if you have a look overseas in some of those British Columbian places, the log bolsters are out to about 14 feet. Yes. Uh, KLC's ones were the same highway width as uh, you, know, you see on our public highways. So I went out to um, 11 feet, and specified wider axles as a consequence and approached uh, uh, someone who I'd uh, assisted into business, Graham Kelly of Craft Engineering. I was an original shareholder and uh, the forerunner of Craft Engineering there. And um, I'd uh, been in Australia to a forestry expo over there and had seen that uh, they were using folding Bailey bridges. Yes, their ones were very much manual where when you t- took your load off, you backed up against a bank and the uh, trailer folded in the middle and went up over the top of the uh, truck. Graham Kelly and Peter Evans uh, uh, worked on this project and Graham, I remember, making multiple um, balsa wood models and things before he got it right. And then he went about uh, building those two trailers for... Tom Heppy and Vern Higgins to go behind these 440 Macs, um, along with another multi bunk uh, 
um, wide track um, trailer to go behind it. We submitted uh, our specifications to Tasman Forestry and some people were genuinely excited about it, but I can remember their transport engineer of the time said Tasman will rue the day they let this inferior specification of equipment into the forest. And um, to cut a long story short, uh, when it went in there, it just blitzed them in terms of... uh, volume carried, fuel economy, um, the whole lot. Those trailers were built out of um, high tensile steel rather than huck bolting. High tensile's got a memory, which is a pretty important thing with a log trailer. Um, And we also uh, had them on uh, tubeless rims, which was unheard of at KLC, they still ran... uh, You could hear the locking ring orchestra of these Pacifics (laughs) coming down into Mirapara. (laughs) Over the bridges. Yes, Yes. and they used to um, import tyres by the container load from um, uh, Japan there, uh, Toyos and Bridgestone and whatever else there. And uh, I finally got them to agree that tubeless steel tyres were just a giant leap for mankind yep. in that respect. So Vern and Tom were, were around the table when all this was going together and an integral part of what it is they'd own? Or? Well, in part, I told them I'd find them something and uh, see whether they would approve. And they certainly had some input into the way those trucks were put together. Vern especially was... Uh, um, very deep thinking and uh, had some great ideas. And uh, uh, when those two trucks went to work, they were something else, I can tell you. Yeah, they you. were. They yeah, were yeah. big bits of gear. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a thing the nationwide, those two trucks. Yeah. yeah. The other person I've got to thank in setting up that was someone who's no longer with us, Roger Clotworthy yeah. of Tokaroa. Now, um, he... Uh, uh, at that stage was running T Deutsches and I went over there and uh, spoke to him. He um, had, and the, Between the time I started speaking to him and we got the trucks on the road, he'd moved over to Maroor Logging, which was the off-highway division of uh, Graham Manson and Mike Lambert. And um, we put these Renault hub reduction back ends in these trucks there, which was... Pretty foreign to me. Anyway, uh, Roger did some research and gave us a lot of other data. He was just a, a walking computer of knowledge uh, yeah. there. And as I say, they went to work, stayed at work, and they were hugely productive. Yeah. And um, they were the forerunners of the owner-drivers. Kangaroo Logging Company sold all the rest of the trucks over time to uh, other drivers in Mirapara. And I think Mike Lambert ended owning up all the Pacifics in time uh, yeah. too, as regretfully, one by one, they wanted to sell out or had financial issues uh, there. Um, what, what, what? So the um, the so the, when the when the um, Happy Higgins trucks went on the road, that the was that had the million dollar road arrived at that stage, or they were still just carting into the rail? They were carting into the rail. Right. Yeah. 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 Because uh, were you still involved when the road was open? Um, I, I was doing different things within the forestry uh, there, right. but uh, yep. I think by then uh, we'd lost our contract to Higgins and two uh, 
Warwick Wiltshire and his team there, yep. and uh, Gary Williams. Yep. And um, we were doing other things with our gear. Mm. So mm. Mm. no, interesting. The only reason I ask was because when that road opened, it would have altered the spec of what what was needed because they actually had to travel some distance with a big load on. Yes. At, yeah. spe- at, at speed relative. Yep. Yeah, you had to actually get somewhere. And, and also stop at the bottom of the big hill going down yeah. into Cowra. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. No, anyway, yeah, that's cool. But no, they were, and those two Macs paved the way for a lot of bulldogs into the forest, really. They surely did. It became the, the sort of the benchmark. Mm. And um, uh, Maro Logging, um, where, as I say, Roger Clotley was that they, they'd had some Macs, but they were a lighter build. Mm. And they had those two big off-highway... Kenworth says big eight four nines uh, yep. there too. I always remember you talk about the four forty, and yep. um, I interviewed Alan Tanner about a couple of years ago, and we did an interview called the big trucks of Tanner Sawmill, and of yep. course he had business was sort of trying to breach the Coromandel and get timber out from the east to the west, and he said that of the V eight Max, the four forty was the sweet was yep. the sweet yep. motor. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, both Vern and Tom went on and bought uh, later editions of that same. Spec, albeit bigger horsepower, mm. as uh, they went to the 500 and then the 525. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, uh, at the sort of end of that period, and I was no longer involved in running Fleetwood Logging on a daily basis, uh, uh, set up a, a small transport business of my own in Rotorua. Um, freightways uh, from Hawke's Bay were big on line hauling and they weren't uh, wanting to be involved in distribution anymore. So I uh, bought their yard in Rotorua and they'd line haul in all their bulk uh, items. A lot of it was wattis, pallets and pallets of wattis and I'd distribute it all around the Bay of Plenty right through to Apodiki one way, across the Tauranga, Mount Monganui another way and as far south as Turangi. So what was the name of that operation? Sam Trans. Sam Trans, oh yeah. Yep, yep. And that had uh, six good years and then one really horrible year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was pretty interesting. Um, and that's when uh, I was an independent as such there, although uh, Freightways uh, provided a bulk of the work and did uh, some work for daily Freightways, uh, daily services into Fakatani and other areas. And then I was approached by a new company, um, a chap by the name of Kerry Crocker came in one day, said he was from Main Freight, and um, asked uh, uh, where we went and what we did, and uh, would we consider putting on a truck painted in their colours and act as his agent or their agent uh, for the next 12 to 18 months before they set up a full branch in the area. And I said, well, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, uh, I'll give that a shot. And um, I was then asked to submit a, a rate schedule for the areas that we serviced, uh, and it was faxed off, and faxes were brand new in those days. <laughs> they were the thing. <laughs> I had a telex uh, before that, if you remember those. <laughs> yeah. um, and I got a phone call, and uh, this gentleman at the other end of the phone uh, said... Uh, is this King Midas? Everyone knows that King Midas is the man that everything he uh, touched turned to gold. And I said, oh, you got a wrong number here. And he persisted. And it was Bruce Plested of Main Freight uh, indicating that my uh, rate structure was far too high for his comfort levels. 
<laughs> but um, to cut a long story short, uh, uh, we enjoyed a, an excellent relationship with Main Freight in those early years, and I've certainly enjoyed watching how it's progressed to what it is now. As a yeah, that's right. Well, their results are, were just released this morning for the last year. And yeah, another, yeah, another stellar. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I met uh, one of the other shareholders, Howard uh, Smith, who came down to sort out uh, in very colourful fashion a matter uh, of concern we had with the New Zealand Railways who were carting their overnight freight. Oh, yeah, so yeah. the main freight line haul came down on rail. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. then uh, we used to get trucks through from Hamilton. Yep. And uh, those were in the days when... Um, truck wheels uh, were all painted rather than these alloy rims. Mm. And I remember Bruce Plested just visiting on his way through and he saw one of his uh, owner-driver trucks out in the yard there and their pristine white wheels were far from white. And I remember him barking at the driver. He wasn't to leave the yard until he'd washed all his wheels. Far, yeah. And their motto at that stage was special uh, people, special company. Yeah, and yeah. still it, there today. Yeah. yeah, it was something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he had, they had um, principles that, yes. that like they would just absolutely adhere to, wouldn't they? My, my next step was uh, to go and work for Combined Haulage. Um, who, uh, oh, the, the, you got a good story about the rail, the main freight rail. Coming well, that was it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah Howard yeah. Smith... Uh, the rail used to shunt these two main freight wagons every morning and onto a branch line where I'd open them up and then uh, divan them and deliver the stuff around the town there. And they used to let the wagons go, so they were still probably doing 15, 20 kilometres an hour when they hit uh, a big concrete block at the end of this branch line. And consequently, when you opened the doors, everything was all pushed to one side and stuff damaged. So um, I uh, complained to Main Freight. I could get nowhere with the rail. They just said that was the way it is and that was the way it really was in those days. Um, And Howard Smith turned up uh, there and he was a very tall gentleman there. I remember him strapping on his boots uh, as he stepped out of an XJ6 and said, have they done the shunt yet? And I said, no. Well, the shunt took place and before the shunter could go back to where he had his next wagons to push there, Howard Smith was on the side of this little shunt vehicle physically attached to the driver. Yeah. And we never had a problem again. He, so did he actually witness the rolling into the buffer? And absolutely. Bang. He yeah, came yeah. down early enough to do that there. And uh, he then went and dealt with the uh, the manager of uh, the whole rail yard in a similar fashion. Yeah, yeah, because corrective actions they took on a different sort of process than they do now. <laughs> Well, that was pretty instant, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were actually effective. Uh, as I said, I then went to work for Combined Haulage, and uh, what an interesting company that was. They're all line haul trucks. Uh, for those who don't remember, I can refresh their memory. The trucks, so were you subbing, or you you went? No, to, you I, went I went there to work to as work. a manager. Right. Okay. Yep. yep. And. Uh, my territory was, uh, they had a manager in Wellington, mm-hmm. uh, but anything in between Wellington and uh, the Bombay Hills was my responsibility. Right, okay. And um, I was, uh, well, part of the time I was in Rotorua, I had a flat in Palmerston North during those years too, and uh, they had some pretty good contracts. Uh, 
Their trucks, as you may recall, were painted lemon and pyro colours. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, each truck was named after one of Wayne Bell and the principal's racehorses. Right, yep. And uh, they were all quite startling bits of gear, mainly Aerodyne Kenworth, which was pretty flashback in its mm. day. And they had the uh, Coca-Cola contract for New Zealand, both out of... Um, uh, both North and South Island. He had another business in the South Island um, doing the same thing. And we used to line haul bottled Coca-Cola and all their other different uh, brands out of Auckland and out of Wellington was all their canned product. And um, Oh, okay, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and we used to send the empty cans down from Auckland. Uh, they were high-cube Mercedes trucks. I don't know whether you remember them. I certainly do. And they would come back with full can product. Right. There. But he also uh, had the uh, distribution contract for Winston Jib Board, a topical uh, name right at the moment. Yeah, it is, yeah. Had some big um, Ultraliner Max uh, doing that, painted uh, yep. jib board colours. They were pretty spectacular looking bits of gear. Um, Colgate Palmolive, that was a yeah something I was responsible for. The the reps would take orders till uh, four o'clock of an afternoon. The orders would get pack, packed uh, in Wellington, and then we'd uh, have them up in uh, Auckland the next morning. Right, and all over the North Island, they'd yeah, drop yeah. off in various places. Uh, so if a rep was, if a rep took an order at your place at five to four, the the delivery promise was overnight. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And. Um, Anyway, the drivers were pretty interesting. I could write a, a book on just my experience with line hall drivers and their colourful lives and antics. There's certainly an eye-opener for me, and I don't think I was a shrinking violet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, good people uh, was, uh, and some of those drivers I've still seen today in yep. various other activities around the place. Thoroughly enjoyed uh, the couple of years there, yeah. But uh, I was spending more and more time away from Rotorua and wanted something that was a bit more concrete. I, I lived in my company vehicle yeah. uh, more often than not, and enjoyed. You could be in Gisborne one day and New Plymouth the next morning, yeah. Uh, meeting and seeing people, and uh, um, and I enjoyed that aspect. But and still trying to run your trucks, and we. The, the the trucks that went down to Wellington or south, uh, one of my responsibilities was to fill them up with things to go back north again uh, yep. there. And um, in those days, there were a number of wool scours. Uh, you can probably remember it, O'Hinney mm. Way, and there were several in Auckland. And we uh, got big time involved in carting wool, and uh, I'd wander around these... Uh, these big wool sheds and things in Wanganui and all over the place uh, and uh, negotiate rates to cart them to Auckland and we'd uh, fill up the curtain siders with those and strap them in and away we'd go. And the other thing uh, was sawn timber. There was a number of sawmills in the central North Island and Martin Carter Holt had a mill there long since gone and um, National Park... There were a, a, a whole raft of things, and uh, I could normally fill all the trucks we wanted, and then I ran a book of people who I knew would be coming up or they'd ring me. And um, we had a number of sub- subcontractors helping us out. The, 
the the, uh, the early mornings were real active in uh, finding out what was available and, and mm. getting that gear home. But and of course, we're talking in an area. You think about it to yourself now, but we're talking in an area, an era pre pre um, Wi Fi, you know, wireless broadband, pre cell phone, pre you know, like you said, faxes were the in, yeah. Faxes were the hot number, and a fleet link radio in your car probably was there. Or oh no, I, I had the first of the cell phones, one of those big handbag oh, the models. Big, the big, oh yeah, oh, the it wasn't a brick; it was a handbag. Oh, yeah. it was, uh, <laughs> but did I think I was cool? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and did it work? Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. And yeah. you could plug it into your car into an aerial, which improved its performance. Yeah, too, yeah. Uh, so we must be talking. We're up to the early eighties, early. Or mid eighties by now. Yeah, no, uh, it'd be later than that. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah, yeah. This was late eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, late nineteen eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early cell phones. Yeah, big briefcase cell phones. Yeah. And then uh, I was approached by Dave Milanofi of Provincial Freight Lines, and uh, he uh, we we crossed paths a couple of times uh, there, just uh, informally or whatever else. So I want you to come and work for me. Uh, and I said, well, what do you want me to do, uh, Dave? And he said, oh, with these freight things. I said, look, I'm sick of bloody freight. Uh, and a lot of it was small freight in those days and all the issues that went with that, where's my bloody parcel? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've, you've lost it nor damaged it. Or, and I said, no, I'm not interested in freight. And uh, Dave was quite large in, in freight, both bulk and some mm-hmm. small freight at that stage. And he rang me back uh, a month later and said, I've got something for you now there. We've got a few chip liners running out of Kopu uh, there, but there's other opportunities there, and um, um, you, you'd be just the man to help us. And uh, that sounded more like me. I said, can I live in Rotorua? He said, yes, yeah, we're just opening a freight depot up there, which was incidentally a building I'd built on the old freightway site right. that yeah, Dave yeah, yeah. ended up leasing. Not from me, Um Anyway, um, I went to work for Dave, and uh, Dave had a relationship, as you're aware, with um, Peter Coote, yep. and uh, said, what am I getting for a company vehicle, Dave? And he said, oh, I've got something coming for you. And the reason it was coming, it was a Camry that had fallen off a car transporter. Remember, yep. they were involved with yep. uh, the, the big big time with car transport. Anyway, um, I got to my work and um, I, I was also able at that stage there, the people who I'd serviced with all this sawn timber cartage kept ringing me and saying, look, the guy who's taken over your role isn't the slightest bit interested in us there. Could you do it? And I said, well, look, I've got a feeling of uh, you know, loyalty to my former employer and that there. And and finally they said, well, if you ain't going to do it there, you're getting first look at the ice cream, we'll find someone else. So at that stage I got hold of uh, Dave Milanofi and said, what about it? And he said, oh, well, we may not have the gear to do that. And I said, don't worry about that, I can get the timber carted. And I went back to my old book of all these subcontractors and um, I was filling 10 or 15 trucks a day at some stage with sawn timber out of the central North mm. Island back into the Auckland area. And um, then uh, some of the people that uh, we were involved with, I got uh, Dave serviced himself uh, out of Waipa Sawmill. And uh, 
that, that we we got some good action there. I said uh, you've got access to bags of mussels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so every Monday morning, two bags of mussels used to come down, and we certainly got some preferential treatment. <laughs> yeah, Dave, Go to the front of the queue. Yeah, <laughs> and Dave's uh, trucks there, and. Um, uh, the Tokara and Potaru sawmills were both going then, yep. and we got timber cartage out of there. And there was more wood chip cartage came along uh, too, as I recall. And I just thoroughly enjoyed that. And um, it was while I was working for Provincial Freight Lines, I was approached by Mike Lambert. I'd, Mike had ended up being a director of Fleetwood Logging latter years when he bought out Peter Shellcrest. And I'd also done some consulting work with him. I first met Mike in about 1976 when I did a research project for Pia Volsen and Company on behalf of the Logging Industry Research Association. And he had at that stage recently come back from a, a trip up to British Columbia and he was the, the first one that designated all his drivers would drive with their headlights on for safety reasons. And I found him an interesting person and, uh, as I said, did a bit of consulting work for him. He rang me and said, it's time you came to, you paid me a visit. I said, oh, I've just taken on a new job with provincial freight lines. And he said, I've got something better than that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine it. So yeah. I said, well, look, no, I've only just started. Anyway, he, uh, uh, I said, well, tell me what it is. And it was a job uh, picking... Uh, well, he, he wanted, he could see there was a huge wealth of logging waste left behind on logging skids when they cut logs to length for export or whatever else that was basically just long-term compost left in the forest. Now, I'd had some, uh, I'd done some work on this for a, another contractor, uh, Tony Mariner, some years before, but he didn't have the horsepower to get it flying. Um, so I went and saw Mike, he'd whetted my uh, appetite and he'd told me what he conceived and um, uh, as a consequence of these discussions uh, he'd ordered a, uh, a mobile chipper and a, drum, a mobile drum debarker and a mobile screen and he uh, in his own mind had worked out the best ways of recovering this uh, wood and uh, I still had the problem of what I was going to do about provincial freight lines. Anyway, I got Dave Milanofi and Mike Lambert to come and have lunch together in the harbour side at Tauranga. Crikey. <laughs> got them in the same room. They, they'd never met each other and basically thought uh, one was a competitor of the other. Did you take a photo of that? <laughs> well, I enjoyed the lunch. <laughs> and at the end of the lunch, uh, the, the, they found they uh, uh, had similar operating issues and they found there was some um, areas where they were running empty one way where the other one was uh, running loaded uh, uh, to run empty after he'd done the various loads and there was some, some economies of uh, scale there and uh, whatever to be had. Um, so uh, I basically took on two roles. I uh, had no... Uh, marital commitments at that stage of the proceedings uh, there or having had I'd fallen out of one and didn't have another shall right. we say yep yep, yep. and um, so I ended up with two vehicles and two cell phones <laughs> <laughs> and each morning I'd get Dave's uh, timber trucks up and running and uh, any of these subcontractors uh, 
there and uh, then I'd go about uh, setting up uh, this chipping operation. Uh, Mike was very much hands-on in that. And we built a number of tipping bin trucks with cranes on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, negotiated to sell um, the wood, the, the export wood chip to Mitsubishi. And I remember the the uh, wood chip manager for the Pacific area of Mitsubishi, a, a Japanese gent by the name of Todd Sato, came out and... Uh, um, I took him for a, uh, a trip through the forest and showed him these piles of waste wood, the offcuts that the logging contractors were now piling up on our behalf. We paid them uh, to do that. and uh, But he, he stopped me and said, uh, please don't call it waste wood. I can't sell export chips if they know it's been made from waste wood. Yeah, it yeah. won't go down. So. Uh, Mike and I coined the name of Binwood because it was going into bins and that seemed the the logical uh, thing to call it. Far out. And um, this Binwood initially, uh, we were paying the uh, contractors and the Forest Corporation a total of $10 a tonne to collect it for us so then our trucks could come in and and put it into... uh, our bins with these uh, Johnson Red cranes on the back of these bin trucks. We also uh, had left, uh, we made bins out of 20-foot containers and had a hooker truck going around and hoisting these containers on with right, yeah. the bin wood which the contractors had put in there. Uh, that that wasn't quite as successful. They used it as a rubbish tin, which was a bit of a problem there. Anyway, um, the, the chipper took off and... Um, uh, after about a year of uh, servicing uh, Dave Milanofi's needs as well as Mike Lambert's, uh, I was offered the operations role for the Lambert Group. So I approached Dave and said, look, what I've done now, your people can... I've set up the pathways. Your people can uh, do it from here. So what year would that have been? About 1994, I think. Right, Yeah. Yep, yep. And um, so I re- reluctantly handed back one of my cell phones and one of my vehicles <laughs> <laughs> and uh, worked full-time for Mike. Now, the, the chipper was a, an outstanding success and um, we were filling a 40,000-tonne chip boat about every eight or nine weeks in the main from the Spinwood and then uh, were offered other pulp wood uh, which wasn't suitable for sawmills in the local area there and uh, I spent my time um, uh, resourcing uh, material for that uh, plant. Great item and uh, Mike ran it for a number of years. So yeah. how, what sort of tonnage could it put through a day? Well obviously if you're filling a four, yeah, well, well, it, well, it, it, a, I suppose. it had a V12 caterpillar on it. Yep. And uh, we tweaked it a bit, and we reckoned it was uh, this, in standard form. It was nine hundred horsepower, and we believe we'd probably got another hundred horsepower. And uh, it used to produce a thousand ton of wood chip on the the, the single shift we ran it. Used a thousand liters of fuel, and was a thousand horsepower. With yeah, how we saw it. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how big a how big a chunk of wood could you plonk in it? At maximum, it could take a thirty uh, inch. Uh, uh, diameter log. A 30 inch diameter? Yeah. yeah. 
It was right. a Moorbark Model 30 in the 30s standing for that. Right, so don't and put your finger in it to free Oh, no, no, just and it's good straight material, just mowed through it there. And the big drum debarker, uh, uh, that was, it was all mobile. We could cart around. Initially we set it up in Hull Road in Mount Maunganui, um, uh, and uh, we, we set it up there to debug it and knew we had engineering shops and things around there, mm. but then... It uh, went and worked in Kainga Road down by the Webb Road log yard for uh, several years. Yep. And uh, worked at Kawarau. Yep. And we uh, bought a, a Moorbark um, tub grinder as well. What a fantastic machine that was. That likewise has a similar sized Caterpillar engine on it and you could chuck anything into that thing uh, there and it would uh, turn it into hog fuel. Uh, yeah. Um, and the roar of that caterpillar was uh, pleasant to behold. Pleasant yeah. to behold, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what a, and interesting, because in the intervening, I don't know, I suppose, in the intervening 30-odd years, it sort of residue, of, you know, has sort of had its ups and downs, probably, I say, probably more downs, but my goodness, we're on the eave of every scrap of wood you can find is worth gold. Well, well, there's no longer any wood chip exported out of Mount Maunganui. Mm. Those halcyon days are long gone. Yeah, I remember when that ended. Yeah. yeah. But while it was working, uh, for, for the first two years of this company, we've uh, Mike Lambert, uh, we formed called Fibre Recovery That's Limited. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we paid off everything we owned, uh, had no debt, and uh, when it all came to a halt, and it always came to a halt suddenly, and they suddenly said there's no more ships coming, there's a glut worldwide or whatever the reason, we were had a yard full of pulp wood. Well, we uh, got in there. The, the Indians were just joining the pulp market and some of the stuff wasn't that flash, but they had some length requirements and we ended up for two weeks cutting everything we had in stockpile manually to length there and uh, cleared the yard that way. Uh, mm. there. Otherwise, we were going to have some long-term compost. It's <laughs> Some long-term compost. Yes. Because he got to the stage, like the Mount the mount Chip Heap was, you could, like it was almost, you were waiting for snow to fall on it at times so the skiers could have oh, turned yes. like, and there was a big, some big tractors up there pushing it around. Well, well, that, that was Mike's trivial pursuit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when um, uh, I became in, involved there, Mike had just very recently bought the two bulldozers. There was a T-Rex 8240, and a T-Rex 8250 with big chip baskets on their blades, which belonged to a company by the name of Wood Export. Wood Export uh, operated the shiploading facility, and they'd owned these two tractors, but Mike had convinced them they weren't the best owners and operators of tractors, and he could do a better job, which he proved rapidly he could. And... Um, Mike wasn't the T-Rex man there and uh, one of them instantly broke a crankshaft so uh, they were shunted off the pile. He brought in a, a brand new Caterpillar D8N. Uh, D11 was it on no, there? No, that's later on. Late, it started oh, yeah, oh, with a D8N. Oh, D8, D8N. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that D8N um, worked there, must be for 10 years and then was transferred to Napier, still with the original track gear on because you don't get the abrasion and all mm. the rest you do in proper earth moving. Um, then he brought on a uh, D9G, I think it was, uh, there. That was a great machine uh, there. Then he was lucky enough to buy out of a coal mine on the west coast uh, a D10. Mm. And the D10 was shipped to uh, Christchurch. 
and was fully refurbished by Goffs mm-hmm. and then brought up here on a roll-on, roll-off service and driven off the um, uh, the ramp here in, Ta- in Mount Monganui and that went to work on the chip pile uh, at Mount Monganui for uh, several years and then he decided to buy a... a a D11R, New Zealand's biggest bull. He wanted the big boy. Yes, 108 tons. Yeah. And um, that duly arrived and was blessed, and uh, we had Goff's directors all running around the thing there wanting photo shoots, and, uh, um, and it went to work, and it worked there happily for a couple of years, and then the, 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 the export wood ship, market uh, came to a, a halt uh, out of Mount Monganui. Mm. Now, in the meantime, uh, the Lambert Group, uh, we'd been asked by Panpac to uh, put proposals uh, to do two things, Kataroji Pan Pacific down in uh, Napier, or West Shore, Furunaki. Um, one was to put a proposal in to run their log yard right. um, and receive the logs put them into inventory and then feed. They had a, a chip mill and a sawmill. And uh, and secondly, uh, to uh, run the new export wood chip facility on the, the Napier Wharf. And uh, uh, nothing had been built, but they were interested in the proposals. We were successful in both of them. And the export wood chip down there... Uh, I remember Mike Lambert and myself and Murray Smith, who ran Wood Export, yep. looking at the plans that uh, Panpac had got from this Australian outfit who built a number of conveying systems for ships, uh, mainly uh, doing grain and whatever. And they'd been contracted by Panpac to do it, and we said there's some inherent faults in your design there, but they wouldn't hear a thing, so... Uh, it was built uh, the way that it had been laid out and that first ship was just a nightmare, absolute nightmare because the wood ship has totally different characteristics than uh, grain and coal, yeah. which these people, these Australians, were uh, experts in there. Anyway, uh, a lot of money was spent uh, by Panpack altering it and finally uh, became a good item. The D10 ended up there along with the D9 and that D18. As I say, they were Mike's trivial pursuit. He, it was a, a damn good machine operator in his own right and like nothing more than getting on a bulldozer or an excavator or a Wagner log stacker. And um, he, he could stand there for hours watching them going up and down these chip piles yeah. there and was only 10 minutes down the road to his home. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, paradise. Yep, and so the, you were t- successful in both the, the log inventory? Yes, yep, yep. yep. Um, we ran a lot of log yards. Uh, people thought that Mike Lambert had 100-plus logging trucks and that's who he was. Well, that wasn't quite it there. He had negotiated with New Zealand Forest Products to take over the log yard at Kinleith was one of the first ones. And... Um, uh, Kinleith uh, went along with it, but they were concerned that uh, of a, I guess, a continuation plan if Mike uh, fell out of the picture for whatever reason. So Mike uh, formed a cooperative company where 
the machine operators who were on the job at the day of takeover, they essentially owned one third of the company between them. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, obliged to bring in Owens Services uh, there to own one third, and he, uh, Mike and Judy Lambert owned one third. And it was highly successful, as happened in uh, the other yards we can, uh, converted the same way. Uh, I think we had 17 cooperative companies in log yards and on forklifts and various other things across the Bay of Plenty and Panpac likewise. The productivity went up, the repairs and maintenance went down, uh, absenteeism uh, basically stalled out except for genuine reasons and uh, the shareholders uh, became part of an entity that I would meet with them each month with their results and go through them using pie graphs and they could see where uh, their uh, efforts or their failures were either uh, producing uh, dollars for them or Mm. costing them. Mm. And um, a great principle. The Lambert Group, when I left there, uh, had, I think, 32 different business units uh, there which were centred around these log yards. Um, He had several... Uh, share truckers, they weren't owner-drivers, they owned half the truck with mm-hmm. Mike Lambert. They were people who'd served Mike for many years. Um, we owned, uh, I think, about uh, 130 forklifts from small ones right up to 18 tonners and a variety of sawmills around the place. Um, we owned a, a Beechcraft twin-engine Baron yep. aircraft at one stage there. That operated under the name of Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very useful for, for getting Mike and myself and others uh, quickly around uh, the empire, so to speak. Yeah, that's exactly right, because mm. when it becomes of a size, then time is, yeah, time is, yeah. time is dollars, literally, isn't it? Yeah, so um, I, I was operations manager for the Lambert Group for just short of 14 years, and um, um, my great uh, satisfaction was helping form these cooperative companies and turning what we'd experienced as perhaps transport operators going to these sawmills and getting a pretty lackadaisical response either on logs or sawn timber from the the uh, staff. You suddenly got a, a crisp performance. Uh, the guys could see that Positive efforts gave positive outcomes in their pocket, and it was uh, yeah damn fine. So yeah, there's nothing yeah. more motivating than a bit of skin in the game, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and Mike Mike did a number of great things. Uh, he uh, was asked by Carter Holt, one of the people approached to put a proposal to run their log stevedoring at Mount Monganui. Owens had been doing it for years, and it got to be a case where sort of Owens were telling. Uh, their customer when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen rather than the other way around. And uh, Mike was successful in uh, obtaining that uh, contract and formed a company called Quality Marshalling, which worked for many years, uh, Steve Adoring Logs. Uh, On the very first ship with the ideas that Mike had, uh, he set a port record for the speed the ship was loaded. Right. He'd been telling Owens for years, why don't you do this and that and the they weren't interested uh, there. And so but back in the, the bulldozer game again, but didn't he end up with the biggest... He had a massive Wagner there, didn't he? Like he had... He bought uh, a, yeah, a, we had uh, 
Sargison, Colin Sargison, who was my former next door neighbour, and that's another colourful chapter. Yeah. In my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, he ended up with the, the biggest ones was the Wagner one thirties. He's yep. on to I think he's got his third one coming now, which he uses to unload steam logs at the Web Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but on the processing plant uh, back in the Tarangon Port days, it was that yeah, massive. There was the one twenty, the one the one twenty of QMZ. Yeah. Yep, yep. And we had another one twenty which was down in the Murapara rail yard. Um, for Kulpariki Log Transfer, which yep. was another Lambert company, a cooperative one. Yeah, because at, um, at Murapara they had the, the electric, the Latorno electric. The Latornos, yeah, yes, yeah, and Mike, Mike bought another Latorno, and what an incredible machine. They were, uh, yeah, they and, were. And the, the dexterity those operators had on those things, uh, one of them I let prove, I was a bit anxious at the time, he picked my uh, a cap off my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess faith in his skills. I'd watched him for some time there. there. No, they were incredible machines. He picked a cap off your head with a Latorno log yep, stacker. Yep, That's yep. very William Tell, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> no, uh, there, there were two guys there who uh, loved and lived on those things, uh, Peter Duff and um, uh, Dennis... Um, Gosh, Nelson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a yep. No, so, no, yeah, no. Well, yeah. the Mirapara Log Yard was a, an interesting place, and we ended up at one stage there with 19 uh, pieces of plant there. They turned it into a log-making yard, and the stems would come in there and be unloaded, and a contractor by the name of Kajavala would then cut them to the various lengths, and we leased them all the loaders and the like which wasn't a good decision because uh, the guys treated them as rally cars and uh, right. we backed out of that uh, pretty promptly. I think we sold them all the loaders in the end. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other aspect down in Mirapara was uh, I got involved. Maro Logging had transferred from New Zealand Forest Products at Kinleys and had come across to Fletcher's yes. based in Mirapara with their off-highway fleet. And... Um, Mike was very good in those days uh, at letting people have the drivers and the operators of the machinery that they're operating have input into how the grapple uh, uh, should be shaped and curved. And uh, on the off-highway trucks there, what have we learnt from uh, you know past uh, vehicles? He was a great innovator. There, I was there at the era that he built those... Um, uh, Piers trucks, he had those L700 Kenworths yes. that ran up on their own trailer and yes. were carted back to the bush. I was going to touch on those. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a great innovator and some of it didn't work first time but he had the horsepower to uh, say, well, we've learnt something from that, the next model will sort that out. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite interesting because those guys are, are always, it's the old, if, if you if you they they have that mindset, and you're talking about the Dave Milanofi example, that, you know, the same, if they get knocked down, let's basically stand up and what did I learn from that? Absolutely. You know, yeah. you know, people are looking and go, oh, that never worked, but, you know, rah, 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 but they have the attitude as, oh, okay, righto, so what So what do we need to change to make it work? Mm. You know, yeah, because Dave Milanofi was, a, you know, his great thing was utility, vehicle utility. Like He was always anti-specialist trucks. Yeah, you know? he, yeah. It's got to be able to do everything. That's where the log decks and all that sort of thing. 
you know, guys like Lambert and Lanifee, you know, pioneered yep. those log decks. Absolutely. Know? Well, another Graham Kelly uh, innovation yeah. with bolsters. Uh, and hasn't New Zealand road transport been so blessed with the talent in our trailer builders? Yeah. Like, you know, guys that just, you know, they're just non-conformist. They'll build whatever, they'll try and make and build whatever it is you want to build. When and I met Graham Kelly, he was a possum trapper. Yeah, and it was <laughs> hence only, the nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the bottom dropped out of the possum skin price, and he came to me. I, I'd been doing his uh, accounting uh, um, work there, and uh, he said, "What am I going to do?" And uh, this was 1980, 1979, and a friend of mine, Robin Moore, had just bought the first S line in the North Island uh, there. And it needed a cab guard built for it and a bolster fitted on it and a, a tow hitch. And he said, oh, I, I can do that. I've done a bit of work for Graham Manson <laughs> on the side there. So he got himself a workshop and away he went. So, yeah. And um, uh, he, he, I don't think, ever went back to the possum skins. Yeah. But they'd bought his uh, first deer farm and a few things there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting yeah. person and never say... Uh, Die attitude. Oh, yeah. absolutely. But like I say, you know, we through history, we were blessed with so many great trader yeah. builders that have got that attitude, you know. Yeah. I suppose that's a young pioneering country, isn't it? I can remember Ian Patchell when he was the only guy in his workshop at the bottom of View Road and you went in there and drew what you wanted with chalk on the floor of his workshop. Yep. And yeah, yep. he's been incredibly innovative and uh, very successful over the years. Yeah. Yeah, pushed boundaries and... Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Anyway, yep. No, so we're back at the. We'll just go back right. to the mountain quality marshalling and quality and, marshalling. And, yeah, that, and quality marshalling now is a freight stevedoring company. Yes. Uh, there, uh, both in Timaru on the port there, and um, no longer handles logs uh, mm. there. Um, it was sold to the uh, port of Tauranga by the person who bought Mike Lambert's business uh, there. Um, the off-highway trucks, I had uh, quite a bit to do with both the running of them. My job was an interesting one. I got to play with all the new toys, <laughs> but whenever a fire started, I was the one who was thrust into the flames. Yes. So, uh, yes. And, um, but, but it's all about people, and, and I, I learned a lot. Uh, I used to call it the Lunchroom Brains Trust. We'd have a, a problem on a site there, and I'd get all the guys there and say, well, there's got to be a solution. And sometimes there wasn't a solution on the day of asking, but someone would get you to one side next time there. So this is a real interesting. So when you're saying the what do you say the lunchroom lunchroom bra- brains trust. So that 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 is every that could be anyone at the coalface working. That's everyone involved. Absolutely at, at every tier. Yeah, I, yeah, I encourage yeah. them there. You know, some companies uh, the management have no connection with the guys at the workface. I used to hop on an excavator or a wheel loader or a truck. And um, put it this way, I probably wouldn't make money uh, with the skill level I have, but they knew I understood uh, mm. what the the process was and mm. all the reason. They used to laugh as I dropped logs and whatever else or was way behind them, but they enjoyed the fact that I'd give it a go. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, but certainly uh, we solved a lot of operational problems um, in that respect with people who... Uh, we had one guy on one side who couldn't read or write, but he could take you into the bowels of a pivot of a uh, log later and show you where it was cracking uh, there. Yeah. 
where even the mechanic greasing it hadn't seen it yeah, uh, there. Yeah, yeah, and probably knew why it was yeah. yeah, or it had a miss in an engine. You know, he, he was one of those exceptional people uh, there. He'd regretfully never learnt to read or write. I almost got him to go to an adult um, uh, reading class there, but his pride in the end wouldn't let him mm. take it up. Mm. Um, and... Uh, some of the innovative equipment that Mike would come up with, it was great. I'd come back with, say, you know, we've got an issue here or here's an opportunity, and he had a desk pad on his desk along with a few Max Ales bottles. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, we'd, we'd, he would draw things, and we used to call them these, uh, and we might draw a, an item which we thought would be useful to manufacture, or uh, a process on how to do something mm. better than we were doing it. Uh, the, those desk pad uh, notes were called Minhinics after the, <laughs> the the well-known cartoonist of my era, not yeah, so much yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, but yeah. I know exactly, yeah, yeah. And knowing Mike, he's probably still got them all folded up somewhere. Right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and they, they were wonderful years. Uh, I'd uh, meet with him um, each uh, night at... Uh, uh, five thirty, six o'clock for the next hour and a half or two there, and download what was going on around the the group there. And um, he was very much in touch uh, with uh, all the people uh, and um, all the activities he was involved in. Yeah, yeah. But wasn't that another trait of that era of yeah of of captain of business? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you've probably worked out I'm quite rude and uh, outspoken. I've never picked that up. <laughs> I have never. And when when Mike would travel with me, he'd say, "Oh gosh, I'm not particularly comfortable with that." I said, "Well, did you hear what it was offered back to me, Mike?" Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, I uh, enjoyed those years. There were some wonderful people work for us, and and a lot of them were given opportunities that they wouldn't have got elsewhere to become shareholders. And uh, I think my greatest um, effort was. The guy who became the supervisor in the uh, Mirapara log yard had been number two in the union there and was against anything the company proposed uh, mm-hmm. and the, the, uh, against KLC. There was no union issues in our day uh, there. Yeah, so uh, um, the off-highway trucks, we kept developing those. That original folding pole trailer, mm. uh, Graham Kelly perfected with hydraulics and the like and it became the crafty loader yeah, yeah. which for a truck that was pulling two off highway trailers behind it empty to get into a bush skid there was far less to turn around yes. and you had some weight back over the drive uh, axles as well mm. there so uh, and uh, he built most of our logging equipment uh, there yeah. in latter years the Lambert workshop built some highway log trailers in the yard uh, their own workshop too. Yeah, so what else can I tell you about that era? Um, as I said earlier, people thought Mike Lambert had 100 log trucks and didn't realise that he had far, far more uh, log handling equipment in the way of log stackers, log loaders, excavators, bulldozers, forklifts. Um, we even... Um, Owned a tractor that worked in the Tasman nursery at Titeka, the Tasman tree nursery at Titeka. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Tasman um, uh, Fletchers had a policy; they didn't want to own any equipment uh, there, and um, so uh, 
we bought them a tractor and and hired it to them, which is what they wanted. It seemed like a trivial pursuit again. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, where else? Uh, you could yeah, you could almost say at that stage, nur- nursery to ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, one of the first ships we loaded, it may have been the first one, uh, we had a little D31 Komatsu. It was Mike's own one from round his own property. And we made a special uh, lifting frame for it. And uh, when you load a... Because we would provide the staff and along with others that would export have to load these wood ship vessels with a high-speed conveyor and a slinger. Yep. And when that gets going, you can do almost 1,000 tonnes an hour and you, you fill up a big, deep hold up there. And to trim it off, you normally end up with a big pile there. Yep. And uh, we conceived the idea of putting this little D31 up there, and um, uh, Mike would get on it and push out into all the various corners. Yep, there. so this is in the hold of the ship? Uh, on the top of the hold. Yep, it's yep. right at deck yep. level. Yep. Yeah, not, uh, we had tractors down in the hold initially pushing out, and that was... Not a good uh, thing. We had D4s, two D4s. But trimming the hatch was great. Oh, yep, yep, yep. And uh, I remember this uh, Japanese uh, gentleman representing Mitsubishi said the the man that collects the wood, that makes the wood chips, that loads the, the ship, he's now trimming the hatch yeah. as the final uh, <laughs> chapter. Gift yeah. wrapping it for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what sort of era did the, did the Lambert thing wind up for you? I started there in, uh, I think it was 94, Mm -hmm. and uh, I finished uh, almost 14 years later, so... uh, Yep, 208 sort of... Yeah, Mike had had this offer from Toll to buy the business, which came unstuck with Carter Holt not liking Toll uh, there, and uh, I could see he'd lost his interest in developing more things, and I really enjoyed developing those cooperative companies. I think that we had 17 of them in the end there. And um, and I felt it was time for a change, and uh, uh, my late partner Jenny and I uh, decided we'd uh, uh, cut our ties with Taurong and go and live in Fittianga. Right. And at that stage, uh, Ray and Ear were going to build that sawmill at... Um, God, you know. Yeah, that, I know. Bloom, uh, something, uh, what was it? Um, yep, I know what you're talking about. Over on the over on the other side there, yes, on the Matarangi the, side, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, of, of uh, the Coromandel Peninsula. Yep. And I'd been sort of given the nod uh, by another guy who uh, had been also given the nod. There were jobs available mm. uh, there. Rainier had spent a fortune getting resource consent, and then that sawmill in Gisborne went into receivership, and they decided. It was a going concern. They had this whole brand new sawmill sitting in storage in Fittianga. Yes, yes, I yeah. remember that clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, anyway, Rayonair decided to invest uh, in the sawmill in Gisborne that was in receivership. And so I, for a while, enjoyed the, the fresh air uh, of Fittianga there and then thought I'd better do something with my <laughs> life again. <laughs> Anyway, it didn't take long. Um, uh, the, I've never uh, created a CV in my life and haven't to this date uh, there. The phone rang and a, uh, a friend of mine who'd been uh, the chief financial officer for Lambert's, he was an accountant in private practice, Russell Lelman, rang and said um, they needed some help with a company 
and the mount would I come and have a chat and I went up there and it was Robert Monk Transport had just come out of receivership uh, there to uh, some not so good circumstances they'd ended up in receivership and they just came out and they had a general manager who was running the ship uh, there and regretfully he'd fallen ill and in fact later on he died and would I fill the gap there while they got their their uh, footwork sorted again. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll give you three months uh, there. I've got nothing going on, but that'll fill in three months. And um, I went to Robert Monks and left there four and a half years later. As you do. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And if anyone's ever tried to manage a company coming out of receivership, uh, uh, you, you have nil credit with anyone in town. A bank won't give you an overdraft. People are reluctant to supply your services. It was a hugely challenging period. And um, anyway, uh, Robert and his brother Steve, they uh, just put their noses to the grind wheel and we got the the team motivated behind it uh, there. And um, I'm not taking any credit for that. They now have a very successful uh, business again mm. uh, doing good things. Mm. We certainly made a number of uh, strategic changes in those early months and got rid of the small freight aspect of the business, which in my view was costing them money rather than earning them money. And uh, and uh, he had a large fleet of ERFs uh, there, which what a wonderful old bus they were. Uh, yeah. Um, and we finally got into back into a fleet replacement program, and on it's gone. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and again, I, like yeah, it's interesting. I can, I started as a fresh out of school as a as a office junior at Thames Freight Lines when it was in yes, receivership, yes, and I'm pretty it. sure that I was the first non non driving employed person yeah. um, in the. You know, because when you're in that state, you know, yeah. uh, an extra office person is a luxury. Yes. And um, but they'd got to the stage where, um, yeah, that, that was at, that they were they would, you know, they would generate they were mm. on the go again, and the, and it was just got to the stage where they couldn't go on any longer in the back room without some before someone went mm. mad, you know, sort of thing. And I always remember my first day, and my my then boss, my very first boss, uh, uh, just one of the loveliest blokes on. Ever got a chap called Dave Lee? You might have met. I Dave remember Lee. Dave. Yes. Yeah, 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 and he's taught me how to rate a docket with yeah. it, and, 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 and I rated a docket. Then he brought two, and I rated two with the with the old uh, with the old Eastlight file rate yes. schedules, and and he said, right. He said, you got the hang of it. I said, yep. He said, okay, come with me. And I walked into his office, and there was a <laughs> was a pile of dockets. It must have been two foot high in the length of the wall. There must. And he said, work your way through those, and ask me if you've got any questions. But you know, though, I got got to yeah. it, it had got to that stage before. Because you're like every every penny's a prisoner when you're in that state. But just just going touching what you said before about the the RMT example is that when when everyone decides right we're gonna we're gonna save this thing and make it work the camaraderie is just is just unbelievable. Like what a fantastic place to start work, yeah. you know? Because you just the, the 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 team the camaraderie to make this thing go again, you know. Well, before we could make the team at Robert Monk go, I for a couple of weeks just walked around and looked and asked questions and said not much. And then uh, we met with all the staff and told them what we were doing and it was going to be hard yakka. And if anyone didn't want to be there, that's fine. You know, now's a good time to go, so we know where we stand. And uh, 
and then I expounded my FIFO operating uh, uh, system there, and I was immediately asked what FIFO stood for. Well, in accounting terms, it means first in, first out in terms of stock rotation. Yeah. In, in <laughs> trucking terms, it it's means fit in or fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And um, uh, there were some redundancies, and there were some people there that uh, they had their comfort level worked out for themselves, but it was not offering anything positive to the business. But, yeah. No, they were a good team of guys, and um, over the years you, uh, that I've been around, you get to employ some really interesting people and some who surprise you uh, that they haven't reached the standards that you thought they might and others which have come and looking rough and ready and have ended up being absolute jewels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. life's always full of surprises. Yeah, I, I still get rung uh, regularly by uh, former drivers. I had one the other day. Uh, would I stand referee for him? He was looking for a change of job uh, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was uh, when I talked to Neville Chambers the other day. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah he, and said yeah. that I was going to have a chat to you. And oh, he was just, you know, he was talked about your relationship with him. Was that back in the consulting days yeah, when that you was were back running your consulting Because you helped him into the first Kenworth, he said. That, that was some work I did for Tim Sawmilling. Um, and uh, in a number of ways. Oh, that was an interesting period. That's worth talking about. Uh, these were the days where you couldn't cart against the rail more than 160 kilometres. Mm-hmm. And um, Tim Sawmilling wanted logs, and they basically had to be put on the rail, brought into Kainaroa, put on the rail in Rotorua, and then a week later you saw them in the Thames siding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was pathetic. And um, so we started uh, basically... Uh, we got a yard out at Nongataha and we were bringing logs in from Kainaroa, dumping them in a yard, and then a day or two later, picking up a load, writing a fresh docket, and we could get from Nongataha to Tim Sawmilling within the 160 k's. Yep. And the, the police started sniffing around and, uh, and were giving us a hard time and... Uh, I know we had trucks running in the middle of the night and all sorts As of... As everybody did. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And... Um, uh, I can remember on one occasion the police were, uh, decided this yard in Nongataha wasn't uh, kosher. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we came up with a plan uh, there with the help of Tom Ingram, a, a barrister, yeah. and a transport barrister in Hamilton. He was everybody's friend in those days. We loaded three trucks yep. out of Kainaroa and we knew we could get to the rail siding in Tiaraha, which was still open in those days. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, and we presented ourselves as a goods shed and said, we've got three loads of logs for Thames, please. <laughs> and you can imagine this gentleman uh, went purple. He thought we were kidding initially. But he said, come out and have a look. What, you know, what, what are you going to do about it? Well, I've got no gear to take these off and no wagons to put them on. So, um, And he consulted people in Hamilton and we were allowed to take these three loads up there and uh, further dialogue ensued and... It was shortly after that that they got rid of that whole dumb yep. system. Yep, uh, yep, the whole regulation. Yeah. The, the yeah, law yeah. changed and uh, the Green Party would say it was the worst day for New Zealand that rail lost their freight advantage, mm. uh, but I beg to differ strongly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, think, I think you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, RMT for four years? Yeah, for a bit, yes, and then... Um, I, I had a bit more time out, and then 
uh, went to work for uh, Bruce and Sandy Porter, BRNSL Porter and Mount Monganui on the tankers. He said he needed someone to help him out through the molasses season with dispatching uh, and whatever. And I went in uh, there and I'd known Bruce oh, for some time uh, socially, not uh, in any business aspect. And I'd not had anything to do with tankers up to that stage there, but there was uh, a good core of people uh, there. And um, I uh, got through a molasses season, and he said, uh, well, you can't go now, boy. And um, so I stayed on. He was doing a lot of uh, milk cartage for Fonterra between uh, various plants at that stage. That that at one level was a, a good money earner, but at the other level it was a nightmare. We used to employ up to 60 casual staff for um, the milk season. We'd hire an additional gear from TR Group, and some of the staff you, you employed definitely weren't the sharpest, sharpest knives in the drawer. And um, uh, I can't say I got any pleasure out of that aspect of Bruce's business. It was forever on edge. Yeah. Uh, you were forever trying to meet a target that just kept moving. Uh, yeah, just fighting yeah, fires. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, Bruce had a manager in Timaru who uh, I think by mutual uh, uh, agreement wanted to move on. So I was sent down there initially to uh, get the place running and see if I could find someone to fill the role. And... Um, I said I'd go. It was a bit of change of scenery and a bit of fresh air. I uh, have lived and worked in the South Island previously and uh, knew my way around. And Timaru was an interesting place initially to get uh, uh, into there. You know, workshops didn't open on Saturday mornings and various other aspects. It was um, it was different than the North Island yeah. and the way they service trucks and whatever else. It, it's changed since uh, then. And um, the team I had down there was uh, also needed the old uh, FIFO philosophy explanation there. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, the non-accounting <laughs> version? Yes, yes. And um, uh, we, we lost uh, some drivers through that process, which was beneficial. Yeah. And we got some other better ones who came in and we taught them on tankers and... Uh, turned it into a, a good little operation down there. That was carting uh, a lot of tallow from those uh, meat processing plants as far south as Invercargill mm-hmm. uh, there and carting it up to the port of uh, Timaru where it was held for export mm-hmm. and uh, carting a lot of um, uh, vegetable oils into various dairy factories there. There was a... Um, a, a canola processing plant at Rolleston there. We used to cut a lot out of uh, there into various dairy factories. And then also special imports of palm oil and stuff we used to run on a 24-hour, seven-day system uh, down to uh, Edendale uh, in Southland. And it was pretty interesting. Plus we, I, we had um, molasses berths, uh, uh, tanks at both Bluff and... Timaru, so I was all over the South Island and that was interesting in its yeah. own right and um, South Island people are pretty genuine uh, roosters. They and, sure uh, are. Yeah. yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there and 
there was a downturn in the the uh, the dairy aspect of it, and Bruce decided he was going to shorten up his operation in Timaru, and I needed to come back to towering anyhow. I had some health issues that needed a bit of surgery, and uh, yes, yeah, so I came back up there. That that was. I think nearly six years I had on and off uh, there. Uh, incidentally, I Genius. put a I put a new manager into Timaru and trained him all up, but yep. he turned out not to be a winner. So right. uh, I went back down again and I said to Bruce, "Bugger this! I'll stay here. Yeah. I enjoy the life." Uh, yeah. And uh, I had uh, friends and family all over the South Island, so it suited me fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And their roads are a lot less congested than oh, ours. Oh, and you still notice it. Yeah, you still yeah. notice it when you're down there. Yeah. yeah. The one thing uh, that uh, I've had a lot of time over uh, the last six months in the South Island travelling, the one thing you notice is uh, my drivers would come back at least once a week with a near-death experience with a tourist in a camper van in yeah. those really busy days uh, there. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was very quiet when I was down there over the... Uh, uh, January, February, March period, uh, yeah. notably. Um, when I came back and got my uh, health all sorted out there, I approached uh, uh, an old friend of mine, um, Craig Gordon of Total Transport Engineers. Craig, had, uh, I used to pay his wages 40 years ago. Well, yeah. He ended up paying mine 40 years later, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and uh, I uh, helped out there... Uh, just uh, ordering uh, all the uh, materials and things and uh, doing the human resource work and uh, putting some input into what things were being built where I felt that from my user perspective I could offer a yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a positive comment. And amazing the number of people who came through the door who I'd met in previous aspects of my life. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was there for five years. And yeah. Is that right? It was five years? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I retired, uh, which which uh, worked well for both parties there, um, when my late partner got crook and um, I was able to spend more time with her. And uh, But now I'm a free agent. And, you're, a f- uh, you're a free agent. I, I've, anything that uh, I still value, I've got a lock-up in Tauranga. I've bought myself a much smarter caravan and... Uh, I'm a gypsy on the roads of uh, New Zealand. Yeah, with um, with uh, hot cups of tea at so many places and people that are happy when you walk up there. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, I've had a good uh, dollar for the South Island. I came back up here to do a bit of seasonal work in the kiwi fruit uh, season. I was running the infeed uh, for a kiwi fruit uh, plant out at Tapuna until I got COVID. <laughs> um, but um, I also need uh, a couple of new hips, and we're just working on that right now. So uh, it's a pity. Um, it's a pity. Uh, um, Roger Roger Clotworthy is not around to help design them. He probably designed better <laughs> hips than. They, <laughs> and with a, th- you got a three D printer? We could start. Yeah, now. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Oh, heavens above! Well, that's uh, look. I knew I knew uh, uh, an hour and a half with uh, Chris Savage would be just absolutely. Uh, uh, fantastic, and 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 you've lived up to everything that I knew you would be, and everything in in your reluctance has been well disproven. Uh, to um, it's it's uh, it always enriches your own life when you know such neat people, and then like I've been blessed to have crossed your path now a few times, and and just 
I don't know, learned so much about attitude and approach and, and you've known some of the great names in, in the industry and been involved in some of the some of the great projects, um, especially around trucks and off-highway trucks and wood chip and 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 that primary industry. So so thank you so much for giving me uh, a couple of hours. I'll now take you to lunch as a reward. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's been an absolute and I'm absolute uh, pleasure and a blessing. And and so many people will enjoy will enjoy the chat. I've only got one thing to add there. There's there's one. Hint of sadness, it would be great if your good friend and mine, Guy Spur, was still here to continue the discussions. uh. Just, just, well, it's interesting because I've got a, um, I've got a, I've got a photograph, he sits on the office at home on the, in the, up on the bookcase, and I've got a photograph of him grinning, which I'm never sure if that was a good thing to have put up there because, (laughs) because if I, uh, yeah, because if uh, when 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 everything's rocking along, it's fantastic. But if things are a bit gloomy, and I go home and I look in the office, and he's and I'm like, "What are you bloody smiling at?" <laughs> yeah, and, uh, he was a wonderful person, and I'm sorry his his uh, books on both the history of Caterpillar in New Zealand and the Pacific trucks haven't got well, to the light of day. Well, yep, hold your breath on the on the Caterpillar one. Don't, yep, don't go too far. Too soon because uh, you just watch this space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for this opportunity. I've enjoyed myself, believe it or not. (laughs) Oh, look, you're more than welcome. Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Um, Very much appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the team at New Zealand Trucking Magazine. Remember to get your hands on the latest issue from your favourite retailer or subscribe now at nztrucking.co.nz. Keep on moving. The official podcast of New Zealand Trucking Media.